You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Fosse Verdon from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. I'm the only man, yeah. I like it. They like it. Welcome, listeners, to our mini-series recapping episodes of FX's Emmy-winning limited series, Fosse Verdon. In the show, we see an inside look into two time periods on Broadway, a literally more historic Broadway where the characters reside, but hidden under that layer we find today's Broadway, through which our modern artists interpret that story. We're going back episode by episode to see how this love letter to vintage Broadway tells us greater truths about the industry. So let's dive in and talk about episode three, Me and My Baby, which is not referring to you and I, Aaron. But isn't it? But isn't it? (laughs) Give us the stats. Me and My Baby premiered on April 23rd, 2019. It was written by Deborah Kahn and directed by Adam Bernstein. In this episode, we are treated to our first numbers not originally choreographed by Bob Fosse, the opening dream sequence to Vilka Men, and the Jack Cole review number, both choreographed by Andy Blankenbuehler. Portraying a bevy of beautiful secretaries are Mackenzie Bell, Anna Noble, Sam Farrow, Mindy Wallace, and sisters Leanne and Sarah Esty. In a flashback to Gwen's early career in Los Angeles, we also see a quintet of Broadway's best. Adrian Lee, Ricky Ubeda, Ryan Steele, and Reed Luplau, all centered around the flawless Eliza Omen. While the titular song from Chicago does not appear in the episode, the featured music that does all comes from the musical cabaret, with music and lyrics by Kander and Ebb. We are treated to Ethan Slater portraying the legendary Joel Grey in Vilkeman and Two Ladies, accompanied audibly by Alicia Umfress and Morgan Weed, and visually by Lindsay Dunn and Caitlin Edgar, as well as footage of Kelly Barrett singing Mine Hair from a previous episode. Lastly, and sadly, the viewership for the series has officially left the millions this week. The live numbers coming in at 453,000 and the DVR numbers at 505,000. Me and My Baby misses the million mark with a viewership of 959,000 viewers. And what happens in this episode, Mo? Bob ends his vacation early to begin the editing process of the cabaret film, but is not happy to find out that the editing team has already created an unwatchable rough cut that makes him feel like the world is falling apart. Bouncing into Gwen's apartment with Chinese food, he asks Gwen to join him in the editing room because he's feeling a little lost right now. However, Gwen isn't available to assist Bob because she's going to be in rehearsals for a play, a straight play, called Children, Children. As opposed to those musical plays. Yes. Tacticals. The two play power struggle with their daughter, Nicole, both claiming that they can't be responsible for her while they are working. While Gwen passes her off to Bob for a dinner meeting with her manager, Mel, Bob passes her off to his friend, Patty. When Gwen finds this out, she explodes at Bob, who considers watching his own daughter a favor. Being taken advantage of by Bob reminds Gwen of her teenage self living in Culver City, California, when she caught the eye of James Hennigan, a prominent theater critic who rapes, impregnates, and then agrees to marry the young Verdon. Filling in for her deadbeat husband, Gwen reviews the performance of the Jack Cole dancers and realizes she needs to perform for Cole, leaving her bastard infant son with her parents to go on tour. In addition to playing wife and mother to Bob, the writers of Children Children want Gwen, a two-time Tony Award winner, to audition for the role. She pretends to love the audition process, saying, It's like a first date with a new crush, 
She gets the part, though Mel confides in her that she was not everyone's first choice. In rehearsal, Gwen gets singled out with more notes and adjustments than she's used to, a sharp juxtaposition to how she was lauded for her performance in Can Can. Feeling inept at her work in the rehearsal room, Gwen offers her services in Bob's editing bay, where she is subservient but shines. This two for one. All right, episode three. Episode three. How'd we do? I mean, I was thinking this podcast series is secretly so boring because all I have is good things to say. <laughs> Every episode. Which I guess is like the strength and weakness of recapping a really critically acclaimed show is that while we had fun like ripping apart Smash... There's just not that opportunity to do that here. Is that rude? Is that ugly to say? I agree that there is not that opportunity to throw Smash under the bus. But I think what is cool is that we've been pulling out these themes that are obvious, but there's just so much going on in the show that it's hard to like grasp onto them, I think. Sure. Yeah, the things we've been connecting from episode to episode, I've found really fascinating and things I didn't think about in the first watch where I was just impressed by the performances, enjoying the journey, you know, just like normal person watching television, I guess. Well, I mean, and I guess that's what's also, like you said, I think in our first episode, the difference between cable and network is that the opportunity to dive in and really sink your teeth into deeper themes and deeper concepts when you're not encumbered by audience response. When you're not worried about the ratings, yeah. Yeah, it's really nice to really dive in and think about it analytically. It's great. I love it. I'm digging it. I enjoy it. I love all three episodes of this that we've watched. <laughs> I did love that we sort of got an opening number, which we haven't had in a while right. or at all in this series. How'd you like Vilkomen? It was interesting, an interesting takeaway, right? We've seen basically only numbers that exist in either the musicals or the movies. And this was a fantasy sequence. We're starting to see fantasy sequences. It sort of dips its toe after I just came for Smash. It sort of dips its toe into like the Smash pool. Yeah, into living in a musical fantasy for Bob. And can I tell you, Sam Rockwell better dance. He's doing all right. He's keeping up and he's carrying the number. I was like, all right. Okay, Sam. Uh, hopefully when Broadway returns, we'll get to see his musical prowess in everyone's favorite musical, American Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of every one of these episodes has either been the name of a song or a lyric in a song from a number that uh, Bob Fosse is associated with. And here we have Me and My Baby from the Act 2 opener of Chicago. This is also the first time we get a song title that doesn't exist in the episode, right? Mm-hmm, sure. The number it's referring to is nowhere present in the episode. Who's me? Who's my baby? What do you think, Aaron? This is gonna be nerdy of me, but it's like, have you ever, you know the second book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Two Towers? I feel like it's sort of like that, where there's continual and forever argument on what two towers they're referring to, and no one has an agreement because Tolkien purposely left that open. And I feel like this is sort of the same thing. Who's me? Who's my baby? There are endless possibilities. There's the literal like me and my baby where it's like Gwen and her first child, Gwen and Nicole, Bob and Nicole. And then there's like the colloquialism of baby where is, is it like Gw Bob and Gwen? Is it Gwen and Bob? 
All of this to say is, I don't know. Do you have a thought? (laughs) Because they're giving us the hints of what the title refers to at the end of the episode, that's why I would go to Gwen and her first child. But Mm -hmm. I definitely love the Tolkienism of being able to play with the title and its reference. I mean, because you have this aspect of the most literal and because we've watched this history of Gwen, which we'll get to in a little bit, of her and her child. Yes, that's the easy one. If we're talking about like in a relationship, like me and my baby, one is the central character. One is the accessory to the central character. Right. It leads us to our first thesis, which is who is the puppet master, Gwen or Bob? Is Gwen Bob's baby or is Bob Gwen's baby. I think in episode two, we were really seeing who's got the pain right. We were seeing Gwen make the decision to transfer power over to Bob, right? We saw Mm, her having to audition for Bob. We saw her leaving her boyfriend, fiance, Mr. Brady, in the (laughs) middle of the night to go to rehearsal. Yeah. Now we're really seeing that the power is solidly landing in Bob's court. Uh, Right? I would argue that in the last episode, we saw their rise and we sort of saw their fall. And their fall, their like artistic separation and their marital separation in Mallorca. And I think where we get to is the aftermath of that. The power struggle is back. Who is on top and who is on bottom? To me, it feels less like the power struggle in episode two and more Gwen is revolting against the power that she's given up. Okay. Bob asked Gwen to join him in the editing room because that's what he's used to. That's now the power dynamic that they've set up in Who's Got the Pain. However, Gwen is revolting against that. She's like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do a play even though Mm -hmm. it is not the creative experience that I'm used to because I need to assert some more power, right? And then on top of that, they've got the power play of who is the parent administering childcare, right? Sure, yeah. We've got the societal norms of Gwen has to be the person who is also in charge of their daughter. Yeah. And then they're going back and forth. If we saw the guard fall last episode where they got closer, their marriage was on top, this is the episode where we see the guard kind of come up again. Mm -hmm. Gwen is saying, no, I can't do that. I'm doing a play. She doesn't have the play yet. But she's projecting it to her ex-husband. She projects it like, nah, I can't do your thing. I have my own thing. And it's serious too. She's trying to get away from him. We've watched her be hurt by him too many times. And she's just doing her best to crawl out of this bob-shaped hole that she's been in for so long. Right. But it's not the first time she's felt subservient to a man and felt like she had to revolt against the box she had put herself in with a man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we get the deliciously concise flashback with Centino Fontana playing her first husband, James Hennigan, right? Like you don't, you only see like these little moments and yet like the whole story is very clear in my, in my mind. Oh, uh... Santino's such a wonderful person that when he plays like nightmare characters, I'm like, no, Santino, no. No. Anyway, continue. So it's like, yes, it is frustrating that Gwen is in this position where she feels like she has to revolt. But obviously, she like, she's also been in this place before, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the conversation they have when Gwen is returned to the editing bay 
to help Bob on mine hair, mm-hmm. that the sort of candidness of the conversation there, right? Gwen says, you didn't need me. You just hate being alone. It's like a throwaway statement. Sure. The way that lines delivered, but that is exactly the point of everything <laughs> we are being presented about Bob, right? Similarly, when she says to Bob, I wish you were directing the play, she says it's sort of like a thrown away line. And yet it is exactly the truth. You can tell because she's getting torn apart in children children rehearsal by the director in a way that she's not used to being the depth of the guilt she's obviously feeling between being a career woman and a mother is like so clear when she gives bob the angel monologue he reads it makes a suggestion to change the angel to a little girl instead of a boy saying what do you know about little boys like Gwen turns on a dime there, and that's how we get into the whole flashback about her infant son. Well, that's also interesting. Do you, and I guess this is what gets into it, because I did not really do any research, and based on the information told to us by the show, does Bob even know about her first marriage? And does Bob even know about her? I don't think. Like, because if he has no idea that she's raised a young boy before. I don't think that's it. I think that they both have a lot of history. I mean, they're both on their third marriages with each other. Like, Something like that. Yeah. I mean, that gets into the angel monologue, which we'll get to in a second. But like, I guess what's in, what's interesting is the way our thesis one bleeds into our thesis two is that like Gwen is fighting an uphill battle to be the puppet master because the world makes her fight this uphill battle. And what sucks about it is she's completely capable and Bob, while attracted to it, hates it and wants to maintain the power structure that exists in the world then arguably now. Mm -hmm. Every time, because especially that moment, the games that Bob plays are infuriating. Gwen's trying her best. She tells him about this play that she's doing and his first thing is what? Like, You're going to hate it. When's the last time you acted? Just these gaslighting, cutting things to diminish like her self-worth. And I was just like, dude, you suck. Watching Gwen in this uphill battle, you also see her in rehearsal where she's getting notes after note after note after note. And you know, after getting bogged down in rehearsal that day, her first go-to is that editing bay. Yeah, it's funny when... Bob's having problems with the film edit. The first place he goes is to Gwen's house with the Chinese food. Mm -hmm. And when Gwen is having problems in rehearsal, children, children rehearsal, the first place she goes is to Bob. Mm -hmm. I wrote down this question about Gwen, but I really, I wonder it about both. They obviously respect each other. Uh They obviously admire each other. Do they love each other? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think all of the all of those things are true. And I do think they love each other in the grand, beautiful, like healthy way we define love. It's not that. I would argue that they're addicted to each other. And there's a lot of nuance in there, like with love language, lust language, all of those things. But we can see in the way it's presented and arguably the way it went, like they're unhealthy for each other. They're toxic for each other. And yet they're both artists and the best art they've created is together when they've created it in tandem. It's the cash 22 of we're watching how unhealthy they are for each other. And yet their legacy is entwined. They're a team. They're a team. And we take them as a team and they're revered as a team. 
Yes. And also, there's a Broadway show called Fosse, and there is not a Broadway show called Vernon. Woo! There's the T right there, for sure. Do you know this story about the little angel boy? My mother used to read it to me when I was your age. It's about a little boy who goes to heaven and becomes an angel. An angel? Yes. But when he gets to heaven, he realizes he isn't like the other angels. You see, he isn't beautiful like they are. And none of the other little angels will play with him, and he's all alone. One day, he decides to leave the angels and to go live with the animals in animal heaven instead. They don't seem to mind that his wings are short or his harp is made of brass. They're kind to him, and they play with him whenever he likes. And he isn't lonely anymore. And then slowly, very slowly, he begins to forget about the toys and the playthings that he had when he was a boy and the little house he lived in. And even the mother and father that he once knew. Until one day, try as he might, he can't remember a single thing that came before. Let's talk about this monologue. The angel monologue. This is a monologue that is in Children's Children yes. that initially Gwen is having trouble with, because, in part because the director that she's having lots of, getting lots of notes from, is saying, just sit there and say the lines. Mm-hmm. And she's used to giving the old razzle-dazzle, as it were. And they and, and they tease her in rehearsal for it. They're like, oh, you want choreography? And everybody laughs. Like, Oh, yeah. She's like, just tell me how to say it, and I'll say it. Like... Uh-huh. You can, Poor girl. <laughs> you can see that she just wants the solution, right? She's she's out of her element, and everyone knows it, including her. Well, and that's when we get this great flashback sequence where we see young Gwen. We see the experience she has becoming a mother, mm-hmm. choosing her career over her son and leaving her son behind, right? Yeah, but it's also do you, like, do you think? Do you think she's the angel? In this story? 100%. Okay. 100%. Her son isn't the angel. No. Because let's go through the angel in case anybody missed the whole like story because they were distracted by the montage. In case you were like, I want to listen to Aaron (laughs) talk about a monologue rather than hear (laughs) Michelle Williams deliver a monologue. Well, I will say I had to rewind it a couple times because it's the beauty and also the like crutch of the filmed medium where I will be with you with an actor and listen to your words. But the second we get into montage land, I stop listening and I just watch all the action on screen. So I was just like, oh, okay. The angel boy is probably her son. Going back and listening to it. So the story goes, angel boy is in heaven. For whatever reason, the other angels don't like him and don't play with him. So angel boy goes to animal heaven where the animals accept him and he can play forever. And it's so great that he forgets about his old life on earth and old life in people heaven. And he stays in animal heaven because that's where he's happiest. And the episode 
ends with Gwen being at her opening for Can Can. And she gets called back out on stage. Whoever like calls her back out, she puts Michael on a Kidd, towel. Michael Kidd, that's the choreographer. Is that Michael Kidd? Is that supposed to be Michael Kidd? I missed it. I missed that whole thing. Played by Wayne Wilcox. Michael Kidd grabs her and is like, Gwen, come back out. And she's like, I'm naked. He hands her a towel, sends her back out. The audience is going wild for her. And you see the shift where she's like, this is where I'm meant to be. Okay, so Broadway's animal heaven. I think so, right? Right. And in that sense, I'm like, if she's the boy angel and Broadway is animal heaven. I want that on a t-shirt, by the way. Broadway is animal heaven. I don't know what it means, but <laughs> go to theensemblist.com slash merch for your chance to purchase a limited number. Of Broadway is animal heaven. <laughs> but like, A, that's where I would argue that Bob may not know about the son. Because if she hasn't told anyone... Mm. Because she has essentially forgotten or let go of her old life, then no one would know. B, she's in a play. She's out of her element. This unfamiliar element is bringing all of this up in her. It's reminding her of being a young mother in Culver City. And she's like, no, I want to go back to animal heaven. I want to go back to the editing bay. Because her animal heaven was her escapist life. And art has brought her back to dealing with her truth. Art can be that powerful and bring you back, but arguably it takes a toll on the artist producing that art. And Gwen has arguably, because she's so out of her element and so uncomfortable here, she has never had to deal with this truth. And the first thing she wants to do is escape back to where she's comfortable. Erin, I feel like I just got smarter. To keep up to date with next week's recap, be sure to watch episode four of Fosse Verdon, Glory. You can find episodes on Hulu. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano. And me, Mo Brady. There are two great ways you can be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash The Ensemblist. Please follow The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.